Hello and welcome to the Unsung Sports podcast, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the sports you love. Today I'm joined by Francis Doku, founder of Our Game Football. Francis, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. Great stuff. I've been excited to get you on um, as I think what you do is the epitome of uh, an unsung hero for so many uh, within football. So I'm really keen to to explore that a bit more. But before we get into your off the field work, it'd be great to hear a little bit more about your playing career. <laughs> uh, finished now, but um, came through at Reading last year at the youth team. Um, did it a bit unusually where I stayed at college and just travelled in to play for the youth team at the time and the YTSA, just how far back it goes back. Um, didn't get a pro, ultimately. Believe I should have, but everyone's got their own hard luck story, so I won't bore you with that. <laughs> but um, went into non-league from there. Um, first club was Maidenhead under Alan Devonshire. Um, and then 16-odd years playing on league in the southern part of the country, you know, um, up to National League, Prem, um, lowest probably Isthmian one level. Um, so played the four levels for, for the best part of 16 years. Yeah, and how was uh, Anna Devers you like as a, as a manager? Yeah, it was brilliant for me. Um, I came out, came to him as an 18-year-old, having just left Reading, um, and continued some good form with him, learned a lot from him. Played with Tony Gale. Um, as well, yeah. ex-West Ham and Blackburn. He won the Premier League of Blackburn not too long ago. Then he found himself slumming it with me. But um, <laughs> learned loads from him in a, in a short period of time. So it was a good good education. Yeah, brilliant. The first West Ham game I ever went to was Alan Devonshire's testimonial. So I've got very fond memories of of him just uh, from a personal level. But um, yeah, great He joined in training a few times. And um, <laughs> yeah, he could still, still do a bit at that time as well. It'd be great to get, um, get a bit of a, an overview of our game football um, and how that's evolved over time. So it started it um, 2011. Um, so I've been going best part of 12 years now. Um, experience on that was at Ebsfleet, Gravesend, as it was known at the time, where I got injured. And it turned out to have a break in my leg rather than the brain, which everyone thought it was. And then the surgery which I had was um, to repair it as if I was a lay person rather than someone who's competing, you know, competing at sport at a good level. That causes its own problems. Um, I kind of recovered it a bit because I had good insurance through work. I worked in the city and I had a lot of friends who played at a very good level of football, so they helped put me in touch with the right people. And that was a concept, really, because when I reflected on it after, A, the misdiagnosis and the mistreatment, which I had, but then B, the lack of... Uh, pathway to get treated was really what stuck with me um, and that's what I just started to pull together with our game I thought players if it happened to me with the contacts I had and the insurance I had there'll be loads of players who don't have those who'll be suffering could I bring it together in a better way and that was where we started and so if you if you had that insurance through like a, a firm in the city I'm assuming that was private medical but even that they did that wrong so you would think that's the highest level of care pretty much well, no, see, I ended up having to get this treatment on the NHS because it was a break. So they'd uh, said, um, don't leave, you know, we'll fix it for you. Um, reset it, etc. Um, they cancelled, they told me day one, nil by mouth, they prepped me for surgery, then they cancelled it at the end of the day. So then it went into the next day, which I had surgery. Um, and when I had it, say, the person who did it put pins into the bottom of the ankle, um, which caused all kinds of scar tissue, which, you know, we found that was what they shouldn't have done. So, um, yeah, that's eventually how it how it came about. But even with the private medical cover, 
um, rules have changed over the years. So the private cover I had then wouldn't pay for it now because you're a paid sportsman. You need specialist sports insurance rather than just tagged on, um, you know, family insurance or typical company insurance. Yeah, oh, well, that's interesting because I guess look, there's there's people out there playing non-league football now. If they if they're not aware of this, they probably will be using that that kind of cover. So does that mean they they wouldn't be covered, or is it just dependent on the insurance itself? Yeah, potentially wouldn't be covered. But I mean, I have to be clear: you need to be qualified to give advice. So no, nothing like this should be taken as advice. Okay. Just um, the knowledge is that the T's and C's of a lot of policies will say if you are paid to play sport then cover is you're excluded from cover. So you will have a number of players who may believe they're covered um, who really need to read the T's and C's properly to understand if they are Yeah, and um, I guess how many people are in non-league then do you think are aware of, of our game football? Yeah. Those who've used us um, have had, I think, our trust pilot with 4.9 out of 5, brilliant reviews because we work hard at what we do. Um, I don't think enough people know for sure. Um, we spoke with some physios who talked about, well, this is brilliant, but, you know, we spoke to other people that know nothing about it. Um, so that's going to be one of our big focuses. Um, and some of the plans which we've got coming now are intended to grab attention. Um, we have spoke with a few league bodies over the time. I'm not going to mention them by name, but let's say there have been some decisions to say, no, we're not going to um, share this information for, for a variety of reasons. There have been some conflicts, which I can understand. But ultimately, we're here to try and help. Yeah. Um, so we do need people to understand we're here to help. So when I see GoFundMe campaigns week after week, I'm heading my hands thinking if people used what we do, you wouldn't be in this situation. Yeah, the true. I do see a lot of those. And how far down the football pyramid do you go? All the way. Um, the model was created for National League at the top to then go as far down as, as needed. Because the, the concept really was everyone who plays football, you do have a number of shared needs, shared issues, um, regardless of your level. Um, it's just can you make something that fits your level, your budget, your you know your income, to make it suitable. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. Okay, great stuff. So if uh, there was that terrible scenario, like I'm, I was playing for the dog and duck, which is my level, to be honest. Um, but I, but I got an injury that actually um, you know saw me out of work, for example, is that the kind of thing that it would cover? Yeah, so the, you know, in that situation you talked about, um, you'd be able to use, um, again, this isn't advice, this is just yeah. sharing of knowledge, um, but you'd be able to use um, pretty much off-the-shelf income protection um, because you're not a paid player and they would cover you for sporting injury. Right. Um, but there are many factors to it that's why advice is needed you know to make it suitable for for your life and your you know your circumstances but there isn't a one you know one capital solution for that um but yeah you would be able to get something and we've got partners we've got authorized partners regulated partners who would be able to do that we spent time putting the team together to be able to make sure that if someone joins our game you've got as much of a one-stop shop as possible to get all the help they need Great. Could you share any specific success stories um, of where you've made that significant impact for, to a footballer without giving up names? Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, I think one of the biggest ones which stuck with me, there was a player who um, played at Tier 3 Club. Um, we played in a game where he scored two goals 
in that game, was going for a hat-trick, pouring down with rain, got injured and got carted off injured. Game ended up being abandoned because of the bad weather, if I recall correctly. But their breaking his leg meant he couldn't go to work and he was unable to be playing football. He was sort of with broken leg and he was on contract terms. Um, he used our income protection, which has been designed for footballers, for paid footballers. There's a specific product which we have. He used that and he talked about how if he didn't have it, he'd have had to move out because he had no income coming in um, from either work or football following the break. And that's one of the things which I look at as the, probably the biggest success which we had in terms of protecting somebody fully. Um, we've had loads of people who have spoke to us after injury when there's nothing we can do in terms of income protection. You know, you have to be insured before the event um, who've then had, you know, significant financial problems themselves because they didn't have anything in place. But this guy had it in place at the time and it ticked every need, you know, that he, you know, it kept him in his home rather than him having to, to lose it and move out. And at the moment, are you just focusing in the UK or is it further afield than that? UK at present. Um, there would be a hope and a plan to go international over the course of time, but we need to establish ourselves in the UK first. Cool. Good luck. Well, anything anything we can do, my friend. Um, outside of that, I know you've been involved in various um, kind of other football organisations and committees, um, things like Kick It Out and Show Racism, the Red Card, and things like that. How, how has these experiences shaped your perception of football? I've seen the other side. Um, basically, I've spent... 16 years as a player and just fought like a player. Um, all I you know, really cared about was the right word was turn up, win the game, um, celebrate with the boys after, have a night out maybe, and then come back and train the week after. Um, there was a view of trying to get back in the pro game as well. It's just typical life for a, for a, for a player. Now, since I stopped playing, um, I was determined not to do the, the typical going to coaching. Um, I just wanted to do something a bit more. And as it panned out, I've gone into, say, we kick it out, share races with the red card, I do some disciplinary work, um, been on the board courses. There's been a range of stuff which have helped me see the other side of football alongside building the out-game service. So um, I have learnt a lot, it's fair to say. Um, I know on your, on your, I think it was on your LinkedIn profile where I saw that there was a desire to change a, a culture in football. So there's really spe- specific aspects of culture that you'd, you'd looking to address and what progress have you seen in that regards i say the biggest thing is around um, injuries that which we the core of what we we started a service with i mean it blows my mind that so many people are still running gofundme campaigns for um injury because you play football as a contact sport and if there's one thing you know people will get injured every year the question is who will it be and how bad it will it be not if there's going to be an injury so when people don't have um, structures in place to cater for this, and then it becomes a reactive, can everybody help me? I, I, I struggle with that badly. Then you look at some of the stories where people, you know, will share their uh, you know, manual worker um, or self-employed. Um, their partner just had a baby and it's off work as well. And, you know, that, that combination of things, I think at some stage, someone must have thought, let's take some protection. Out. You know, let's let's do something to... To, to, in case things go wrong. Um, the reactions which people get generally, I think, are really admirable. Um, you know, clubs do come together, or the fans, I should read, if they do come together to try and help the players. But 
there's no way to, to look after your family or pay your bills and everyone's got their own challenges. So in my mind, the, the, the view that we're all, you know, that I call it the 18 to 30 generation mm-hmm. because that is where most footballers are and they think they're going to live forever and nothing's going to go wrong. And I don't blame them because I was like that when I was younger. But I had a few senior players who spoke to me really early in my career and just advised me, hang on, you need to take some steps to protect yourself. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to change that thinking and help people to understand it's possible, it's affordable, and it's sensible to protect yourself. But all these other benefits can come from it as well. Um, and just trying to help people to understand that. Brilliant. And with the, so is, is this really a, a player's responsibility to get this insurance? Or do you think it's more of the club? Should the club be driving that? I think there are ultimately the player's responsibility. Because if it goes wrong, the player has to bear the cost. You know, as much as you'd like to um, put a finger at someone, if it goes wrong as a player, um, if no one's helped you, you need to find a way of paying the bills. You need to find a way of looking after your family. But at the same time, I would say that clubs do have responsibility to they share the information, educate the players, and be clear of, let's say, we, we haven't got this to protect you if you get injured. So let's put the cards on the table at the outset if that's the case. Or if you have got it, let them know so they can then adjust accordingly. Um, so there's a bit of a two, two-pronged um, you know, conversation there. I think the real solution is a happy medium between the two, um, where the club takes some onus and the player likewise as well. Um, and we have changed the our game model to, to, to fit that, you know, to experience over the years has fed into me with that. So we've now got a club membership, which gives the player a, a basic level of support, which the club will, will lead on. Um, but then the player needs to be able to take on the fuller level, you know, dependent on their situation. So that situation, you know, circumstance where we've got of a player turning around and saying to a club, I've been injured, you need to look after me. And the club saying, well, haven't you got anything in place? We're just trying to close that gap, you know, at course. Yeah, it's tough because you do think, obviously, this is their, it's not their, not always their livelihood. I know there is more money going into into non-league football, sometimes too much and not enough to cover it. We, we also see that as well. Um, is it quite tough, I guess, for, for clubs to then be able to, to bear that, which is why it really falls back on the, the player to do it? And I think that you say it, Mark, because if you've got a club paying players um, increasing amounts of money, um, there's only so much that can go around. Mm. Um, so it then becomes, well, if we are paying you X amount, take a small percentage out of it to, to protect yourself. Um, it's that, that, that's your responsibility to re- protect yourself, your kids, your family, um, not to expect us as the club to pay all your wages, to pay for the training, to pay for all of this and pay for, you know, there's a balance which needs to be struck. Yeah, brilliant. I know you touched upon this a little bit earlier, but you're also the chairman of the FA's National Chairman's Panel. Um, what does that entail? A chairman, um, that, and that role is closed now. I'm on a judicial right. panel now. Um, so the, the, the way they work, they have a number of chairmen who would support, uh, let's say, um, semi-pro level particularly, to look at the, or semi-pro and amateur level, to look at the disciplinary issues. So we play a role in that in trying to help um, maintain, um, let's say, the, the, the rules and regulations which have been created. Um, but then we also do some work higher up the, the football pyramid, just trying to be a football perspective in, in regulation. Okay, brilliant. 
Um, and again, touching upon the, the work you did at Kick It Out and, and show racism. Have you seen a reduction in racism over the years? Are things getting better? My time, um, particularly on the... No, the short answer is no. Um, I think that I was more surprised at how much there is, um, which doesn't hit the headlines necessarily. Um, over the time as well, I think you'll have seen the move towards social media has changed the way things uh well, a lot of the offences may may take place. Um, but yeah, I'd say that there, it'd be wrong to say there's a reduction. I definitely wouldn't say there's a reduction. I've just seen and understood a lot more of what goes unreported or doesn't hit the headlines, maybe. Right, fair enough. I, I mean, fair, uh, there was one the, one situation I saw quite recently about a WhatsApp group um, where I think there was, there was a lot of racism from the white players setting up a separate group. So I know it, unfortunately, it does still go on, but you'd assume it's more the face, those idiot fans, you know, it's that kind of small group, but does it happen a lot within clubs as well? Yeah, it's, I think there's some people who would describe things as that word banter, um, which it's not funny if the person receiving it doesn't take it that way. And there's some lines which are just clear, that should just be clear. Um, but yeah, there, there's people hiding groups a lot. You know, I think that that's something that comes across when the groups get together and the FC comes through and sometimes people let themselves down. Other times there is genuine malice in there. Um, but regardless, it's unacceptable. Um, it's something I was just happy to be able to play a part in trying to deal with. The work of show racing, the red card in particular, helped us have a lot of conversations with people to just let them challenge assumptions or thoughts. And you know, it had to be an open forum to let people talk. And then we'd work through it with some some guidance and some sense, and it, it helped make a difference for some for some people. But at the same time, you recognise not going to you know help everybody. There's some people whose minds are what they are. So you just got to um, identify those early, I suppose. Yeah, it's that pack mentality, isn't it? And we've got the uh, chief operating officer of Kick It Out coming on actually first of December. So yeah, be keen to hear to hear a lot more. Um, just for, I guess from that last last question around that, what could clubs do more of to tackle racism? Um, I think right the way through football, I think it's just maybe take it more more seriously. I think there's um, a re- so I saw something the other day. I won't mention the club. I mean, everyone who's seen it would have known. But there was a case in the football league where a fan ran along the side of a pitch and was making some gestures, um, racially motivated gestures at a player. And the footage that was shown, it was clear, was that a number of people just kind of sat there and looked. You know, I think a few people smiled as well. Um, but say it was the footage which you could see. There just definitely wasn't enough of a reaction. Mm. After the event became uh, a, a number of people, oh, it's a disgrace, it doesn't represent us. But at the time when to address it, I'm not saying you have to physically get up and grab somebody, but you can make it clear. We're not having this. We don't tolerate this. Um, but this is where I think of people to take more seriously. Because at the time, it seemed to be, oh, here's an idiot doing something, as opposed to let's stop this idiot doing something, or let's make sure this idiot, you know. That there are things which could be done over and above. And I think that's a theme that runs through. There's more that can be done. Um, people just need to want to. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. And I also see uh, another thing you're part of is the, is the organising committee of non-league day, which is a, which is a great initiative. Um, 
is it becoming harder for non-league clubs to survive, do you think? I think so. I think we've seen a few clubs who, over the last year or so, lower down the pyramid, admittedly, but fold because they just haven't been able to meet costs or players haven't been turning up enough and too much struggle. Um, cost of living has impacted everybody. Um, clubs as well. I've seen some stuff of clubs' electricity bills have gone through the roof to some ridiculous numbers, um, which is stuff which you know players won't see for sure because players just focus on playing rightly or wrongly. Their thing is let me come and play. Um, but some of the you know efforts of fans which go on behind the scenes to make these clubs or help the clubs continue to function um, a phenomenon. So it's just yeah, it, it's it's a tough tough world out there for them. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a lot of unsung heroes in in grassroots football. Those volunteers that that would you know pay for things on their own if they have to, and yeah. we've seen it happen too often. And yeah, I think the cost of players they do see the the playing costs going up, but then pitch costs, everything else is just going up. So it's getting harder and harder. It's such a shame. And I don't bl- I don't blame players for not being aware because it's not nest you know it's not their job, um, but they should. I don't know, there needs to be some kind of... Um, no, I think they do need to become aware because the reality is clubs are trying to survive um, and it's not just about can we pay your wages every week? You know, you're part of the club, so there needs to be some kind of um, engagement with it all. But um, if I, again, if I said when I played I was someone who was thinking about all of this stuff, I'd be a liar. So I can't blame players for that because that's just not the way the, you know, the player mindset is generally said to be. Yeah, and I know there was a new FA report that came out um, just about the Premier League funding money and, and how that's, that trickles down, but I think it stops at the National League. It doesn't go any lower at the moment, or there's a new initiative in that? Yeah, I think there's, there's different streams, though. So I know through non-league day in particular, the Premier League does quite a fair bit of work through the Football Foundation to make grants available for stadium improvement, for infrastructure. Um, so there, there are processes which exist. I think the awareness of them isn't as good as it needs to be. Um, and that's something the Premier League are trying to combat. Um, could there be more money passed down? I'd say everyone would have an opinion on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's there's a lot of money at the top, and that, say the rest of the game needs to say catch up, but it needs support. Um, but say there are support streams out there which people need to be aware of and need to be bothered to want to do something about. But sometimes it does seem, you know. There's options out there which people may not follow up for whatever the reason. Um, so can that process be helped and be improved so everybody wins? Yeah, I think it's harder and harder. I mean, I see when I go to non-league games, there's you know not not many people there, and I think that's that's dwindling. So there's there's a lot of clubs that I think need to look at the likes of a, a hashtag United or, or various various other clubs of how can they get eyeballs, how can they get revenue into the club. Yeah, and it say that I think that's part of the changed world which we, we've got now with the you know hashtag United in effect a social media team who have come through but have developed the football side really well as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are lessons to be learned from how they developed the, the fan base, you know, the, the the engagement, and taken that forward, um, and ultimately it's benefited on the pitch. Definitely. So, so, what are the future goals of our game football, and how do you envisage its continued impact? Well, one of our things, as you say, with Hashtag United is an example where we're going to be launching a TV platform um, in January 24, um, which is designed to give clubs the opportunity to unlock the power of TV. 
Um, so that will then let them do more on a you know on a TV basis, but then also to engage with their local communities better. Um, part of it will give them a ability to create a business community around the club, um, which will also be supported by a CIC, which our community scheme is a registered CIC. So we've got big plans to be able to help clubs change, implement a better level of infrastructure, really, um, where we can help them on and off the pitch just to become a slicker operation um, and generate additional revenue streams, but also just to create more awareness and more engagement. So hopefully it should be a win all round. Do you think with, with initiatives like that, because again, I've, I've been within non-league football briefly as a chairman, that there's older ways of thinking sometimes in, in football. So actually to, to unlock things like the social media and, and things like that, it, it becomes a bit of a struggle because there's a traditionalist and we know there are some clubs, there's a lot of like Dulwich Hamlets, those kind of clubs where very new age, you know, come up with new things, but there are very old school clubs as well. And you think they're the ones that are going to be left behind. Absolutely. But it becomes a bit of keep up or, or, or die. And we don't want to see clubs die. But if you've noticed the trend in attendances, maybe you've noticed a trend in the clubs who are doing well. If this works, you know, rinse and repeat. And that's what our game is trying to create a, a plug-in system that everyone can just rinse and repeat to the very least keep up. And then those who are more proactive can go from strength to strength. Um, we don't pretend or claim to be experts in everything which we do, but we have got good experience um, in a range of range of areas, and we've invested and taken time to pull, you know, infrastructure together. The clubs, even who are traditionalists, can benefit, you know, with minimal minimal impact. And I think it's also good to point out that the number of young people around who are coming through the football courses at universities as well, etc., they can come in and help support this. Um, they'll be trained. They'll have been, you know, educated with a lot of the current practices. And they're keen, eager, wanting to make their way in this industry. So there are options to be able to pull it all together um, if people want to. Yeah, I know that there's organisations like UCFB, which I know do some really great work, some great training. And, you know, they always have people looking for, for work and, and to try and get those students out into the community. So if you're a football club out there, you know, tap into these resources. There, there's always help and support. I know trying to find volunteers is, is tricky. Um, but there, there definitely are people out there willing to help if you can if you can reach them. No, definitely. And I think this is one of the good things which we've tried to put together. There can be a commercial aspect to what we've created. So it's not then necessarily talking about volunteers. You'll be able to look at, you know, creating aid roles um, if you are engaged enough with, with the process. So that there are opportunities which we, we're able to um, help facilitate. Um, so we just, yeah, we're, we're really excited about 2024 and see where we can take it amazing francis well how can people get hold of you well we are at um, website www.ourgamefootball.com um, and email can be just the info ourgamefootball.com as well drop us a line with questions visit us on the website but we're um yeah we're keen to engage with with as many people as possible because we've got some really exciting things lined up and just want to try and make that impact on that non-league football Amazing, amazing. Well, obviously, this will go on YouTube as well. So anybody that has any comments or questions, put them here. If you want me to put you in touch with Francis or anybody else, more than happy to do that. I'm sure it'll be a, a big year for you next year, Francis, and I wish you the very best of luck with it. Appreciate it, Mark. Thanks very much.
Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Cheers for that.